punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Welcome to the Nest and Bruins podcast, Nest.com. Mike Cole joins once again by Logan Mullen. Logan, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, Mike. How are you? Super. Uh, we are here to talk about the Bruins as we do every time we convene. Uh, and there's, uh, I guess, a lot to get into, but not a lot because not much has changed since the last time you and I met. But the Bruins are moving on to the second round. I guess that is the one big change. That um, is a very big change. But it's something that I think the both of us expected and we kind of talked about uh, most recently where we uh, it, we look smart now because we basically declared uh, the Hurricanes dead and Sure as uh, sure as you know what they are dead. Uh, so to be fair though, that was after Game Four, right? So we had like a we had quite the chance to be wrong. We had we had a good bit of latitude. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was just yeah, that's true. Like I mean, if this has gone six, even you know, if it had even gone six games, we would have looked. We would have been. We went in with a good bit of conviction, knowing that if it went tragically wrong, we would look like clowns. Correct which is really the story of our lives. But, uh, so yeah, Bruins take care of business game five. Um, Quick aside, I am over uh, afternoon hockey during the week. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That that one did not feel, especially coming off of game four was like the coolest hockey game it, it felt not ever, but like that third period felt like, oh, okay, this is what the playoffs are supposed to feel like. This is what a big sporting event feels like. It's been a while since we've had that yeah. uh, with everything that's gone on. Uh, to turn around and have just a lackluster, at least first half of game five on a, just a random Thursday afternoon in August was a little bit much for me. But uh, I think my prayers in that regard are going to be answered because I would imagine pretty much everything is going to be a night game from now on, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the two games today, we're recording this on Thursday, and I think the two games today are, what, 8 o'clock and 10.30? See, so I guess beggars can't be choosers, because 10.30, I have no shot. No, up. not at all, because we both work early, too. Yeah. Um, so, at 10.30 start, I won't. I'll re-watch it in the morning. I'll put it on in the background, but you're not. I'm not saying no. I'm for that. All right, we're not here to, to talk about our schedules. We're here to talk about the Bruins, um, although the Bruins do do heavily uh, influence yes, our that, that is <laughs> The two are not mutually exclusive. Uh, what are your main takeaways? I guess we'll start with game five. I, I don't know. I texted you. It was funny. I texted you to say this kind of goes with my 4 o'clock thing. This is maybe the most boring hockey game, all things considered, I have ever seen to start, and that was right before uh, Pasternak – took that penalty, was in the box, and Carolina had about what felt like 15 shots in an empty net in the slot, and it kept getting blocked or just couldn't get the puck through. And that sprung Pasternak on a, on a breakaway out of the box that he was denied on uh, a, a frantic. Uh, yeah, that was quite the sequence. There. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I think I was not looking at my phone at the time, and so I was a few minutes late to your text messages, and it was like, Eight minutes ago, this is the most boring hockey game ever. Five minutes ago, like JK or something yeah. like that. Like it, it did it was a, turn quickly. It was a but, time tech. Yeah, but by and large, I think the 
the Bergeron goal right before the second period. The second period ended, kind of took the wind out of Carolina's sails. I mean, like, they might not. You look at all the complete gut punches they took during this series in Carolina. That yep. is, and it's like okay, the meltdown that they had in Game Four, and then Bergeron scoring on the power play right before the period ended in the second to give them the lead. And it's like just one thing after the Spechnikov injury a few games prior. Like, it was just one thing each time where you look at it and it's like, all right, the Hurricanes are a young group that seems like they have plenty of resolve and a little bit of veteran leadership between Stahl and Williams. But, you know, what team can come back from some of the, you know, as I put it the other day, roundhouse kicks to the nether regions that they took during the series. So I think, and Bruce Cassidy even said it too, that it's just some of their finish wasn't there, but otherwise they played a good series. Like they lost in five games, but it's not like the Bruins completely undressed them. So I think the Bruins probably played a little for an overall takeaway. The Bruins played a little better than I expected, but I don't think that's necessarily an indictment of Carolina outside of their goaltending, which I think we all saw coming from a mile away. The goaltending just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if they'd gotten the bus after the second period, game five, I wouldn't have blamed them. Because, I mean, that yeah. that Bergeron goal was an absolute backbreaker. Uh, and I think this is – my big takeaway is, at least from game five, uh, the Bruins' best players stepped up when they needed them the most, and for the most part. Like, Bergeron drew that penalty, which could have been a penalty shot. And then, uh, I don't know if it was on – did they score – was it that power play they scored on, or was it another one they scored on, that he scored his goal? The Bergeron one was on the Martinode uh, line. Right, right, the hit on Kasha. Right. Um, but on that power play, Bergeron made a play, you know, on his knees. Sliding oh, on his knees, zone. yes. That was exactly what led to that goal, which kept he the kept in alive. the offensive zone. Right. Line. And right. then he makes just a, a brilliant play down below the red line or the goal line to, like, you know, he knows exactly the situation, makes a great play there. So that's – he had probably his best game of the series yesterday, um, you know, when they needed it the most. Chara, who has looked questionable at, the, at times – continues to be a force on the penalty kill and in the empty net situations where he made a couple of big plays. I think there's one uh, you know, player where he lifted the puck out of the zone and basically iced it uh, without icing it. Just little things like that. that and I mean, Krejci too, obviously. Um, Krejci continues to be a force to be reckoned with. So when the Bruins needed it, when they had a chance to put things away, their best players stepped up and really performed well. So I think that's an encouraging thing that they can build on moving forward and just a reminder of just how much talent this team does have. You know, it's easy to sit here and say, like, you know, the depth is their big thing. But, um, you know, don't discount what they have, especially in the top six or, you know, top deep air. So um, that was something that I, I kind of looked at. Uh, let's see. Yarrow Halak, but real quick, they did, just looking back at it now, they never, the Bruins never got outshot in a game. They yeah. never had more penalty minutes. And they never had fewer power play goals in a game than Carolina. And I think that right there kind of tells the story is that just it, they gave themselves more, they better position themselves to be in an opportunity to put themselves in a position to win. And I think some of that, Carolina did have some personnel troubles that they had to deal with. I yeah. mean, I think right. the moment you knew this series was over, in my opinion, was when they lost Svechnikov. Um, I, I think, That's true. It, yeah. you know, and, and so there's that, you know, they miss uh, Justin Williams and Sammy Botman for game one. 
Uh, they ended up losing Joel Edmondson. Like it was just it, it was little things like that throughout the entire series where it's just like that. Carolina never really had the opportunity to get on track, maybe as much as they could. True, true. But I mean, I guess if you really wanted to defend the Bruins, you could sit there and say, "Well, the Bruins were without Pasternak for half the series, and right. their, their number one goaltender is gone." So, um, and that you know, on the goaltender thing, I was just going to bring up Halak. Like, uh, pretty shaky game four. Uh, but after you know that that second goal he gave up in game four might have been the worst goal he's given up all season. I don't know. It's yeah. up there. Uh, he bounced back, gave up one goal after that over two, you know, basically the course of a game and a half, two games. Um, wasn't really tested a ton in game five. It didn't feel like, uh, no. to your point, you know, with the Bruins. That kind flurry of, goal was nice too. Sure. Was... Yeah, exactly. So good bounce back. Like he, again, he didn't have to stand on his head, but I think that kind of just goes back to my other point from the other day that like, they're kind of good enough. They just need him to be not terrible. Is right. Not to undersell the importance or the, the talent of Yaroslav Halak, but, like, they are good enough to beat anybody else as long as they get average goaltending. Well, and I think, too, like, even – okay, so game four wasn't his best game. I didn't think he was particularly great in game three. But when you think about it, it's like in the moments where they absolutely needed him. So, like, after the Bruins came back in game four and – Carolina had the extra skater. It's like right. Halak was fine. Like in the big moments, you know, he gave up the bad goal to Niederreiter in game three. He had the ugly goal in game four. Um, but like when it counted and when it came time to protect the lead and, you know, balls to the wall scenario at the end of a game where Carolina's got the extra skater on, he, he'd been reliable. So I think that's uh, to your point that like, okay, as long as he's decent enough, but also comes up in the big moments, which is just, you know, a rudimentary analysis of goaltending, right. I know. But that's kind of all the – the Bruins have enough but ability to, you know, to live with that, I guess. Yeah, and that's not equal for everybody either. Like, there are teams that – need, like, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, Montreal probably – what was the final score of that game last night? Like, 5-4, I think it was. Yeah, so something like that. I guess it's probably a bad time to sit on a Carey Price take. But, like, that is the type of team that you would think would have to have, you know, balls to the wall goaltending and then still have to pray. Um, right. Yeah, the Chicago, Bruins. Chicago, you know, yeah, Chicago didn't get it with Crawford as much yep. as they needed. And I think the Bruins are certainly in a much better situation than those teams. I would um, say, yeah. And I still think, you know, there's definitely a chance moving on to the next round or whenever it may be, Hawak is good enough to steal you a game too. Like, sure. You know, I don't think he doesn't have that same sort of potential that Rask does, but I do think it's in there. So, um, yeah, I would agree. I, I, another thing too, and this is going in a semi different direction, but yep. I think, you know, there was a lot of talk about the round Robin scenario and the Bruins getting hosed by that. I think that's all out the window now, right? Like any matchup they would run into now, they would not have, it's not the product of them getting unfavorable seeding. Like this is the biggest test. Well, them getting past Carolina was the biggest test in terms of like getting through the narrative about the round robin hosing them, right? Like I, I'm developing this take on the fly here, but it's like okay, so now they're sure, gonna like run into probably Tampa, but like yeah, but they if, might get the Islanders. That I doubt no, they're gonna get the Canadians. If there's no round robin, they would have they would get the Canadians or the Islanders in the next round as opposed to probably 
Tampa. Yeah, but you so. again, you're going to have to go through that team anyways, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's all this. I, I would say, short of Montreal getting through, this is probably the opportunity where, like, if the Bruins lost in the first round, you'd look at it and say, first of all, what went wrong? What did they do wrong? But also, like, this is where the round robin scenario kind of hosed them. I think now you're going to run into a team that you probably would have run into anyway. So well, it's like, the you know, irony... if, they, if they get Tampa in the second round and lose them, it's like, well, all they did was push it ahead of series, right? They were probably going to get them in the third round instead or something like that. And the irony, too, is if you're going to run into Tampa, you if you were going to tell me you're going to have to play Tampa no matter what, you're probably better off doing it earlier than later given Stamkos' status, too. Where it's, right. You know, now he's – if they played him in the conference finals, it would give him even more time to, to you know, get back. But um, we will cross that bridge when we get there as, as it pertains to Tampa. Um, but, you know, I guess how do you feel about the Bruins now compared to – the start of this series in terms of like, how do we readjust our expectations for the Bruins uh, coming out of going into the next round, as opposed to where we started this? Cause there, I don't think there was a ton of doubt on our part, but there's at least that, you know, sliver of doubt where it's like, maybe they just are never going to figure this out. Well, I was skeptical last week because I didn't, my thing was, what did we seen from the Bruins to that point that gave you any sort of optimism about what they might be able to do? And, now it's like we have a five-game sample size where really they laid an egg in one of those five games. Like they delivered four mostly sharp performances. So I think now the expectations have to be readjusted to where we acknowledge that like, okay, this is what they're supposed to be, right? Like, right. They, But the interesting thing is not – I just – if I could interject real quick, is that now you don't have Rask though. You don't, but at the same time, that's why you sign – a lot, sure. right? That's I just think it's like an interesting little off. wrinkle to the, to the it, debate. It is. It is. And I think, you know, it, a certain sect of the fan base is going to be impacted by this because the people who say they should have played Halak in the first place are probably going to be put in a tough spot because if Halak is capable of doing, you know, what Rask does as people, you know, some, not all, like to assert, then it's like he should be able to handle this just fine. Like you shouldn't have to alter the expectations at all, right? So right. I, I don't know. I, we said a couple of days ago when we were breaking down the Rask news that like the Bruins advancing or getting bounced will probably not start and end with how Yarrow Halak plays unless he's so far on either end of the spectrum, which I don't foresee him being that way. If that's the case, it, also, I, I mean, I'm kind of going off to the side here, but you have a sample size now of Halak, right? You have three games to kind of base that off of. So I think there is a fair level of assuming or, you know, level setting that you can do with expectations for the Bruins, knowing that, like, this is what they are and this is what Halak is. Now, if Halak is absent for any reason, you've got Dan Vladar, Maxime Lagasse in net, then you probably have to tinker from there. But this is still the same Bruins team that played exceedingly well in front of Halak during the regular season. They played well enough in front of them during the postseason right now. So, like, all things being equal, I don't know how much you have to alter expectations aside from acknowledging, like, okay, losing brass probably hurts a little bit to a degree. Um, how far that degree extends it depends on how people view Tuka Rask. But I think 
Palak has played well enough this season that it's like it, it shouldn't alter expectations to a massive degree. I think the Stanley Cup is very much back on. Like, sure. I don't want to – I that's going to sound like a bit of a victim of the moment, but, like, they were supposed to be – I mean, they were very good for the entire season. Like, the question was, are they going to take this serious? Do they want to be there? And can they refine like, what they had before the pause? Yeah. I think all three of those things are in some ways connected. Sure, right? So it's just basically, like, can they get back to where they were and how quickly can they do it? I don't think they're completely there yet. Like, it's not – you know, it's been in, in, you know, stops and spurts. Like, you know, obviously go back to game three of game – or, excuse me, the third period of game four. That was as good as they've looked. All season. I mean, clearly since the restart. But, yeah, of all, all season. So, like – if you can channel that and get that back a little bit more consistently and maybe a layoff is not the greatest thing right now. Um, but if you can, you know, if you can keep ramping up to that and find that a little bit more consistently, they are right back in the mix. And Sure. But yeah. here's the thing. They were supposed to beat Carolina. Like yeah. when you start running into Tampa and Philly, assuming Washington gets bounced by the Islanders, you still have two teams that you are either pretty much on even footing with or I know the Bruins won the president's trophy. If they get the lightning, that's tough. But like Carolina, you boat raced them last year. And this year they had all sorts of personnel troubles during the playoffs and their goaltending situation was still a disaster. And like, I know that they were the sexy pick to be like, an underdog and they look fantastic against the Rangers. But like, again, if you're the Bruins, you're supposed to probably beat the Hurricanes in five games, right? So that is baseline meeting of expectations. Now is where you start to run into the, okay, well, you're going to be tested by a team that should be on the same level. Like if we're doing tiers, right, Tampa and Boston are on the same tier, as is Washington. I'd say Philly for as well as they play in the round robin is like, a step below. They're above the Hurricanes, right. but they're below, like, the real heavy well, hitters in the East for right now. I was going to mention that, too. Like, you know, in terms of you know, going up or going down, at you know, compared to the round-robin performance, the Bruins clearly have gone up the most, whereas everybody else, like, Philly looked like world beaters in the round-robin tournament, and now – you know, kind of struggling for their, you know. I mean, I still think they beat, win that series against Montreal. Yes, but, but getting waxed by the Canadians in whatever game that was, yeah. and Carter Hart getting pulled, like, it's not the best. Of right, and, you know, Washington, you know, they're making a comeback, but they're on the ropes against the Isles. And, you know, Tampa got through, but they had to go play a five-overtime game, and then they had to go to overtime again. They went to overtime in two of those series. I understand – or two of those games. I understand that Columbus is going to be a tough out for anybody just with the way they play how they're coaching and everything, but, uh, you know, the, the playing field seems much leveler. Is that even a word? Much more level yeah, there um, than, it does, than it did coming into this round. So I think that's an encouraging thing if you're the, the Bruins. So. Sure, sure. And, um, and, I mean, I don't know. I think we all kind of acknowledge going into this that, like, weird stuff was going to happen, right? That, yeah. That's why the Flyers and Canadians are playing right now, right? And that's why the Islanders went up 3-0 on the – on the Capitals, like we were all prepared for this. So again, a certain level of like conventional wisdom, I guess should be thrown out the window considering the circumstances, but like for all the chaos that happened in the qualifying round, like 
how much of it has really lived up to those expectations? Like the the level setting has been done. It feels like in the first round, right? Like Vegas wasn't troubled by Chicago. Like the Bruins got through past Carolina. Like the the Islanders were a fine enough team last year. They had their problems this year, but they're probably the biggest surprise, if you will. Uh, and if Vancouver ends up beating St. Louis, but like you run into that every season. So I guess I'm couching my take right here by saying, yes, you should throw every, you know, bit of tradition out the window considering what's happened. But at the same time, like there has been a certain level of like things evening out this time. Not betting on Vancouver is going to come back to bite me. It probably will. It, especially after the way we've raved about Vancouver for I, that's what, literal that's what weeks. I, should have put my money where my mouth was because that I think that team can win the Stanley Cup. I like they are. With the way I, I think they're my favorites in the too. West if they get by Dallas or uh, if the, if they get by uh, St. Louis. I think they're my favorites in the West. So yeah, which yeah. is, but well, I mean, whatever. I mean my uh, my take. I I buried in a story somewhere along the way. I thought Bennington wasn't going to be that good this year. Um, well, in, I, in the restart. Oh okay. I was going to say it took you literally. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, to be ten clear, months this, for that to come no, true. This, this was like a month ago. Okay. Um, right any other takeaways from the Bruins, just in terms of roster stuff, lineup well, stuff? Well, we'll get into this more with like the Lightning preview, but I, I do wonder how much they're going to have to tinker the lineup now, um, because it, assuming they play Tampa, I do wonder how much they're going to have to change things up. Like, I think if you play the Islanders, you can probably keep running with what you're at. If you end up somewhere along the way meeting the Canadians. But I think if they end up playing Tampa or Washington at some point, that's when you might start to see the Nick Richies and Jeremy Lozons of the lineup start to get back in. But I thought – I liked what they did. I, I think we're one bad Parland home performance away from getting an Anders Bjork, Charlie Coyle, Jackson Nick at third line. But otherwise, I – Unless the opponent's Tampa, I don't see any reason why they should mess with the lineup all that much. It's going to be a ton of tinkering, I think, in the next series, though, if they play Tampa. I think game to game is You have no choice. Yeah. Like, and I think we literally laughed about it on this podcast, the thought of Studnicka playing again. Like, can you imagine a third line of Studnicka and Bjork going up against uh, Tampa's third line, which is Goodrow, Coleman, and I think Yanni Gord? Like, no shot. They would get absolutely so, pasted all across the ice. This is a take I should save. I do wonder, like, if the Bruins look at it, you know, quote-unquote home away type of stuff, where it's like, if you're home, if you maybe, maybe you feel more – yeah, maybe you yeah. feel a little more comfortable rolling those smaller guys when you can maybe find the, a better matchup. But if you're, you know, if you're in a spot where you're just you know, getting waxed by that third line matchup you just talked about, you know, when you're the, the quote unquote road team, then that's that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that goes. And we can talk about that a little bit more in our second round preview once we get to that. So um, yeah, I don't have a whole, a whole lot else. I, I agree with you on the lineup stuff. Um, again, I think it's just the big takeaway coming out of the series is they look like they can win the Stanley cup again. And I, I did not feel that way necessarily in the round robin games, I was willing to to give them a chance and, and see if they were actually just kind of dicking around um, in the round robin games. And for lack of a better term, it, that might have been the case. Uh, or at the very least, they they backed themselves into a very convenient excuse. So um, 
more power to you either way. They look good now, so they win. Well, and I think a big thing in all this, too, in terms of series takeaways was the, the adjustments Cassidy made to the power play. Like, yeah. that, that group has never looked better now that they have David Krejci there. And I think you know, we've seen during quite a few postseason runs that you, that top unit go dry. And if they can dodge that, I mean, that, that is a layer they haven't always had in a while. Um, but it, again, back to like the, you should beat Carolina thing, even last year, like the first line, you want to take the Bergeron, Marshawn, Poshnok, like they, I think they combined for 14 points against Carolina last year. Like we knew this was happening. So now a lot of these takeaways basically are moot points. Once you start playing a team that is on par with you. Yep. Um, how do you feel about playoff hockey so far? Does it feel like playoff hockey? I think so. From a viewer's perspective, yes, because I think they've done enough to make it a made-for-TV event. At the same time, I can understand why players might feel a little weird about it because I don't think they're feeding in crowd noise in the arenas themselves. The only time you're getting crowd noise is the broadcast does it. Which if you're not, they should be. They should be. And and don't hold me on that. Well, I was just going to say, don't quote me on that because I could be wrong. But there have been a few times where I've listened to, like, puck battles, like when they have a camera in the corner and the, there's the puck battle right there and the sound. Yeah. It sounds like it's right there. And you can hear it, like, echoing throughout the arena. And I, I, I don't know. I can understand how it would feel a little bit weird. But at the same time, if, if you're a professional, you've got to get over it. Yeah, I, I don't think you really notice it either. When you're, you know, when you're in the middle of a puck battle, I don't think you're like, wow, I can really hear this echoing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, but I have not been sitting here watching any of these games, Bruins or otherwise, thinking, like, I'm forcing this to yeah. feel like playoff hockey. I, uh, as much as it could, it's felt that way. One thing, I don't know if this is in arena or on the broadcast, I would love for them to blow out the goal stuff a little bit more. I want to hear – I feel like it's actually a good time to just – maybe the – when it's, it's where the, the announcers can lay low, but I would like to hear the Bruins goal horn and zombie nation and make it feel like it's action. Like it almost feels like those have been dialed down a little bit. So that's just one little suggestion. I want to hear, like, I also don't love the road team getting their goal horn and goal. It's a little weird. Like it'd be so cool if, you know, yesterday after that Carolina goal scored, it, it just goes right into organ music. Like they do at the garden. Like that's something. And also another suggestion, we can't get like Jim Martin to do PA from like his living room. You know what I mean? That, yeah, that's a fair question. That's so like that would be I just little things like that I miss. Yeah. And so I guess to answer my own question about it, I've struggled with it a little bit more than you have probably. But there are times where it's like uh the third period the other night felt like the playoffs again. Um yeah. and the third period of the uh the Flyers Canadians game last night, Wednesday night, when you know, there's a scrum after every whistle tons of goals and something where it's like you have to you know the game is over but you have to watch the last 30 yeah, seconds yeah. because there may be a gong show after the the final buzzer to kind of that whole like trying to set a tone for the next game that kind of stuff when it's there it, it feels legit so yeah I do feel a lot of it's predicated on the play right yeah. like because you get so dialed into it like I remember watching the third period of game four and it's like I couldn't give a rat's ass about you know the fake noise in the background or whatever like it was just a, I was 
so locked into the quality of play. So it's like, I, I think that's what a lot of it sort of hinges on. But at the same time, I get that like, it, it is weird. The, the home road thing has been a little bizarre that it's like, you know, the Bruins score and their goal horn goes off. And then, you know, Brock McGinn scores a minute later and it's the Carolina goal right. horn. I do wonder though, part of the reason that might be subdued is because if they don't have crowd noise feeding through there, like those horns full tilt out of the clouds would scare the bejesus well, out of guys, I think, so if you're in thing, an empty arena. Like I, I, I was watching a video of the of just like warm ups and there was the music playing through. I was like, it sounds and like you know the garden as well as yeah. I do that the sound in that freaking arena is so loud no matter what and maybe it's because of where we sit but it's always so loud and I was listening to that I was like these guys must have pulsating headaches right now just like sitting there trying to warm up because they've got you know EDM on full blast with, I think, I think with the garden 50 is. people in the building I think the garden is the seating I think it's just you're up top and you're, you're face to face with the speaker yeah um then fine, put in some crowd noise with the goal horn too and make it sound like, I don't know. It's, I mean, there's playoff hockey in August when the rest of the world is on fire. Like, I guess you can't really. Right, right. Much. But um, I had one other point, but I forget. Oh, this is by no means a hot take, but I do think we're going to see more of that playoff intensity and better hockey as the rounds go on. I think you kind of, you know, not only are you getting rid of teams that really probably shouldn't have been there to begin with, sure. but it's just, if you're going to be, you know, here in this bubble and you're going to be away from home and, you know, you've won a series, now it starts to become real that you have a chance to win the cup. So maybe it's a little easier to commit to things. And, you know, it's, it doesn't seem as bad. The existence isn't as weird. Yeah. And really you start dialing it in. And I think too, one thing that'll be interesting is we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. I am at least is after this round when, you know, you get to the conference finals and, you know, I think maybe it favors the Eastern Conference where they get to leave and go to Edmonton. Yeah. Like maybe just that changing scenery is, is helpful. So, Yeah, something. well, it probably helps with the feeling of like – it feeling like you're traveling right. to go and play instead of being like, oh, I'm going back to the hotel I've been holed up in for a month and a half now. Yep. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's hard to complain. So, yeah. The quality of play, I, I think, like there have the ice conditions haven't been as good as they could have been. But again, it's August, right? They're playing three games on those surfaces each day. Like, well, I think like there, there's only too. so much you can do. That you would think that'll get better, right? Um, so who knows? We won't have postponements because games are going too many overtimes. Just yeah, sure hope not. I think I think the hockey the hockey operation gets easier as this thing goes on. Hopefully. Especially yeah. Well, because, yeah, you will only have one game a day on each surface unless it's weird because they'll just stagger the schedule. Not only that, most important thing, fewer opportunities for positive COVID tests. So, True. Which, True. again, the NHL, this we'll have to lead with this if, as this thing goes on, especially if the Bruins go deep. If they get to the cup final, we I feel like we have to do, you know, 10 minutes off the top uh, saying like – Singing the praises of – Gary Bettman in the yeah, NHL for pulling this off. This, I, I'm not kidding. I was thinking this the other day. If they get through this, they award the cup. It Say it goes down to, like, Bruins – I don't know. Who's a big uh, Western Dallas. Cup? Bruins, Dallas, whatever. 
I was thinking of a team that would do bonkers ratings. I don't know if Dallas is it. Vegas. Yeah, I guess there's not a whole lot left in the Western Conference in that regard. Vancouver. If if sure. it was Boston, yeah. Vancouver again. I was wondering that too. So, but like, if it gets to that, and it's like this was a great series, a great playoffs. The TV ratings were awesome. Nobody tested positive. It changes Gary Bettman's entire legacy. I'm well, not- we were saying a couple months ago that like there's a legitimate conversation to be had that Gary Bettman's the best commissioner in sports. I, like I think oh. it, Adam Silver's up there too. But like he's he's no lower than second now. Sure. The thing with Batman though is you can't undo those seemingly labor mayhem, seemingly needless work stoppages. So true. But the fact that they the again you want to talk about redemption tours. I mean, what did they just do a a month and a half ago? They got the season restarted and you know renegotiated the CBA in the middle of a global pandemic and economic meltdown they readjusted their cba it's while insane. baseball is having a pissing contest right. so but that's neither here so we will at some point perhaps we will dive more into the the wonder that is gary Bettman. <laughs> we should just do a, an episode if when we get to that point where we play nothing but sound from like our march april may and most of june podcast oh that's just bagging on the nhl and being like there's no shot that they do this like I know. what the hell's happening and in my defense though because i was i just thought like i was so doom and gloom about the entire world that i thought that there's no way it wouldn't translate to the nhl well i think we're two very different people in the sense that like you know you you withdraw because you don't want to get hurt but i'm like i'm gonna go all in like i'm gonna bleed and if this hurts (laughs) then it hurts (laughs) that is i want something to cling to like we are (laughs) astonishingly different in that regard 35 minutes in we have just i think we huge a huge psychological breakthrough about you and i just (laughs) uh yeah so i guess that's where we'll end it yeah where else can we go to therapy now i guess that's right i'm gonna go lay down on this couch behind (laughs) me um yes all right so bruins moving on uh you and i will be back at some point uh before the second round starts against uh, – we'll preview the series against whoever that may be. It's looking like Tampa. But we will – we'll we'll be back uh, before that starts, uh, and, and we'll have our, our preview predictions, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. I am Mike. That is Logan. And this has been the Nesson Bros Podcast, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.